0: We have kind of a cool conversation today on Let Me Be Frank. Uh, the topics of the conversation went from uh, the Convocation of the Priests of the Diocese of Bridgeport that recently happened, and uh, the, the featured speaker there at the Convocation was Scott Hahn. And so Bishop Cacciano tells us about some of the more interesting points and reflections from Scott Hahn during that Convocation. In the second segment, We're going to touch on uh, Bishop Caggiano's recent trip to Rome and then also talk about forgiveness. So keep your radio right here at 1350 AM and 103.9 FM or keep listening on the Veritas mobile app on your phone. If you don't yet have the app, you can go and get it from the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or veritascatholic.com. And as always... Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Resources focus on energizing lifelong formation and discipleship and fostering a commitment to justice and accompaniment with our most vulnerable. From seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities, the reach is broad and the impact is meaningful. For more information, Visit them on the web at foundationsinfaith.org. Okay, here we go. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I am Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, this is take two.
1: Yes, it's good right, to see you. <laughs> it's good
0: to see you on a on a, on a good good strong connection. <laughs> um, so, you know, I wanted to kind of kick things off by asking you, Excellency, uh, I know that recently the priests of the Diocese of Bridgeport have had a convocation, and this is the first one in like five years or so after yes. a bit of a delay. Yes. So uh, how was it? Um, did it live up to what you had hoped for after,
1: after such a delay? Well, let me say, it was delayed, obviously, because of COVID, and this time we had... We had 123 priests attend, and we, as as, is our custom, we attend from Sunday afternoon to Wednesday morning. And it's an opportunity for conversation, it's an opportunity for a bit of prayer, it's an opportunity for fraternity. So it's not a retreat, it's a convocation, they're not the same thing. And usually when we come together in convocation, we explore a theological issue or a pastoral issue or whatever. This time, we had the great fortune of having uh, Dr. Scott Hahn, who was our presenter. Wow. Right? And that was born (laughs) out of our podcast, if you remember. Oh, great. Oh, excellent. Right. So, And he was very well received. And because of his obligations at the university... He was able to join us for Sunday evening, Monday, two talks, and Tuesday morning, a talk, and then he left. Okay. So then Tuesday afternoon was time for, you know, kind of recreation and spending time together. We had a a beautiful banquet at night, and then Wednesday, we ended with mass and morning prayer. Anyway, so the purpose of the convocation is really just reconnection, is really what it is, Okay. and reflection. So because it was so long in the coming, I thought the guys really were very open to being together in a way I had not seen before, to be very honest. And it was really great to see. There was a great fraternal spirit, um, a lot of time spent, you know, over coffee, in walks. And that's important see. We live in a world where we say that's kind of like, that's not productive, but it is productive. Yes, It is very productive, particularly for men who spend a great deal of time in service and sometimes isolated, living alone. So the topic that Dr. Hahn broke open for us was reading the scriptures from the heart of the church, Mm. and most especially from a Eucharistic point of view. And the man certainly is brilliant. He's zealous, on fire, very personable, loves priests. His own son became a priest, as we remember from our podcast, and he he spoke about that in his presentations. Really was there to encourage. But I must tell you, at the risk of, please God, not offending him or anyone else who was there, but listening to him at those talks was trying to drink from a fire hydrant. <laughs> yeah. You know, there was so much that he was, I mean, sentence after sentence after sentence, there was something you could stop and think about. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So F, yeah. Right. So, so there were certain things that struck me that really, I have never thought of in the way he presented. I've been thinking about them ever since. In my mind, that's a sign of a phenomenal talk. And there was probably yeah. a lot more I missed because I just could not process everything. The man's knowledge of scripture is so amazing. Well, you've heard him speak, right? Yeah, it's absolutely yeah, amazing. He's, uh, yeah, yeah, he's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty good. Okay. So now... Um, just a few more things about the convocation. For the first time, we went to the seminary, the former seminary of the Immaculate Conception. Ordinarily, we would go to a hotel, usually in Rhode Island. But in fact, um, we did not do that this time. And it it was a different dynamic, but I think it was a wonderful dynamic to have because... Um, the seminary, which is a huge place, over 200 bedrooms. Each bedroom has its own bathroom, 200 acres of land. We were the only ones there. We wow. were the only ones there.
0: And, and how many priests are in the diocese who, who attended?
1: About 123, 124. One could not stay for the whole thing. Okay. So we filled up most of the place. Yeah. It was ours, and the weather was just magnificent. The weather, you could not have asked for better weather, honestly. So all of that just set this stage. Anyway, so a couple of things struck me about what Dr. Hahn had had shared with us. And one is a sentence that kind of keeps echoing in my mind. And he was talking about an encounter he had with a former Catholic who was now an evangelical preacher. And he, having once been Protestant, now becoming a Catholic, was almost like a role reversal. And in that conversation, the question of the mass came up. And this former Catholic, who I think eventually came back to the Catholic faith, Right, because of his interaction with Scott. Ask the question of Dr. Hahn, well, where does it say in scripture that the mass is a sacrifice? You know, There's only one sacrifice right, on the cross. So when do your people come off with this idea of sacrifice and all the rest? And this is what he said. And he said it, and then he explained it. But when he said it, it struck me. He said, if the mass is not a sacrifice, then Good Friday was simply an execution.
2: Hmm.
1: Wow. Let's think about that for a second. Okay? He went on to say, it is the Passover meal that in fact recalls the Exodus experience. It is the liturgical celebration of the passing from death to life. If you speak about sacrifice in 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 the Jewish world of Jesus, then you're talking the temple, you're talking Levitical priests, you're talking about purification for it to be a sacrifice. He said you had none of that on Good Friday, none of it, Not, none, zero, nothing. You had the secular state putting to death someone who was declared to be, in some way, shape, or form, a criminal. So if that is a sacrifice, which all Christians believe, but from where does it come? And he said, that's the mystery of what happened in the Last Supper, is that the bridge was built from the Last Supper to what would have been an execution and now becomes a salvific sacrifice in Jesus Christ. It's because it began at the table with the intentionality of the Lord Jesus taking the Exodus Passover experience and sacramentalizing it to be the bridge to the sacrifice he would complete on the cross the next day. Now you may say, well, what's so revolutionary about that? In my mind, I've always imagined going from Good Friday back to the Last Supper. But actually, he said another way to look at it is to go from the Last Supper to Calvary, and you see the difference. it's a fa- it's it's a it's a fascinating it's a fascinating way to see the sacrifice of the cross actually rooted in the sacrifice of the Last Supper. That is the sacramentalization of the gift of Christ's sacrificial love, his death on the cross. So to answer the question, how is the man's sacrifice? Well, if you think Good Friday is a sacrifice, then the Last Supper is the first part of that sacrifice. Otherwise, if it's not, then still Good Friday is an execution. There's no sacrifice. And ladies and gentlemen, we have a lot of problems. And this former Catholic had never even thought of it in those terms. Well, quite frankly, I had not either, in so much as I believe it to be a sacrifice. I believe the Last Supper is is the first mass. I believe that the, the sacrifice of the Last Supper sacramentalizes what happened on Good Friday. But he was the first one to help me to see that A went to B, not necessarily that B led us to A. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, that's. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the Last Supper was, was offered by the Lord to allow Good Friday to be the fulfillment of the sacrifice that he begins in that program. It's two yeah. parts of one reality. Rather than one just being the sacrament of the other.
0: Yes.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, he's he's written about that as uh, uh, mm-hmm. I think he has a book called the Fourth Cup.
1: Yes, he Where... he went through a, yes exactly so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But for me, hearing it that way, it just struck me. So that's one, and the second is he spoke about the New Testament, which of course is his forte. Mm-hmm. What I didn't realize. Um, is he spends a great deal of his reflection on the book of the of Revelation, on the apocalypse. That is where he had his conversion as a young man, all right, into the Christian faith, but not Catholic faith. And then he had the, the, the second conversion of his life when he was secretly going to mass and began to realize, right, what that encounter was. As he says, Many others have said in the Fathers, going to Mass is like entering into heaven. Which again, how many times do we have that understanding of going to Mass, right? Right. Yep. So he spoke about the New Testament. Now, of course, we've spoken about this you and I before, Steve, and that is the Church in its in its ancient form didn't have a written New Testament, right? It only came in the third century in a formal canon, began to be written at the end of the 1st century into the 2nd century, St. Paul's letters would have been written 30 years, 20, 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the, the, the general implication, impression, presumption is that they were written to memorialize the memory of the first eyewitnesses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, before they all died, and then no one would be able to tell the story, the sacred story, which makes perfect sense. Yeah. But he tied it into the liturgy in a way that, once again, is giving me a great deal to think about. Like, for example, let's go back to the book of Revelation. The fact that the first half of the book of Revelation is all about the breaking open of the scrolls and the written word. And then the second half was the Lamb of God, right? In the Feast of the Lamb. Very much is the structure of the Mass. Is it not? Yes.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: The elements of holy, 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 Lord God of hosts comes out of the book of the Apocalypse. Right? Behold, the Lamb of God is repeated over and over again in the second half of the book of Revelation, the Apocalypse. Yes. So the Apocalypse is a liturgical book. I never right? thought of it that way. Yeah. That's... <laughs> it's a liturgical book. A- yeah. and, and so in a sense, what I took away from that is he said, the New Testament was a sacrament before it was a book. Hmm. Now think about that for a second. The New Testament was a sacrament before it was written into a book. But what that means is in part is in all the seven sacraments, to, a per- to each one, scripture has an essential role to play. And sometimes we kind of think when we go to mass that we got to get through the scriptural part because we want to get to the real stuff, which is the liturgy of the rest, Right? Right. But in fact, this, the, the New Testament, the gospels, were assembled, the four Gospels were assembled, in part in service to the liturgy, not as an addition or standing adjacent to the liturgy. It was in yeah. very much in service of the liturgy. Yeah. Right? So that by, by encountering the Lord in his word, encountering them in the Eucharist, and he did a great deal of an exposition on the story of Emmaus, right? Which was... Which you love. you love that story. Yes, absolutely. Uh-huh. Um, the, the, the New Testament is really a liturgical book. The New Testament. And therefore when he says it's a sacrament, well, because it's within the sacraments, right? It's a sacrament. It's an encounter with the presence of Christ. Before it became a book you put on the shelf. It was a living as the masses. Yeah. So... Those are the sort of insights he offered, which I think, at least for me personally, have been extraordinarily fruitful because it's like you plant a seed, it begins to grow and it could grow in many different directions. And I've been thinking about like when I'm driving now, uh, it's just, uh, so what did you do implication upon implication upon implication. It's just fascinating, right? Yeah. mm
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I guess it's funny because pe- people, um, not everybody, I'm sure, but there is a, a sense of, you know, you're right. I, I got to get through the liturgy, liturgy of the word so that I can have this encounter with Jesus in the Eucharist. But the liturgy of the word, I mean, Jesus is the word. So that's also an encounter with Jesus.
1: Without a doubt, as it's an encounter with the priest, an encounter the multiple the multiple forms of presence, the community itself. But I guess what I grew in appreciation is that they are not word and sacrament, are not just side by side, but the word, at least the New Testament in its origin, was in service to the sacrament. So the principle was the sacrament, and the New Testament itself is the entree so that when you come to the Eucharist to receive the Lord, you're disposed, you're ready, no? Yeah,
0: yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. So
0: I'm gonna have to uh, approach mass, keeping that in mind now. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think we, in 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 the world of faith, In order to try as best to understand things, we take things apart, right? So uh, 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 in the world, in math, you take a complex formula and you break it apart to try to understand it. In science, right, they do observations, they try to get to the lowest common denominator to start building up an explanation. It's just typical, right? Yeah. I guess what I found fascinating about his way of approaching things is that he didn't do that. He saw it more from the opposite. That is, let's put all the pieces together and see what it teaches us rather than divide. So the scriptures, you know, the historical critical method and all the stuff and sources and the queue and all. all right, fine, all of that, for whatever value it has, it's magnificent, it's wonderful. But you can be left with lots of disparate pieces. And miss the picture. Right. Yeah. It's like a puzzle that's still in the box. There's no picture per se, but he painted the broad picture. And it was so refreshing, in my own humble opinion. It was so refreshing to see how everything is connected, everything is in service to everything else. And that in the end, it's really the liturgy, right? The Eucharist, but particularly the oral liturgy, where. It, 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 there is that entering into heaven. Notice, he didn't say, when you read the New Testament, you enter into heaven. So when you go to Mass, you enter into heaven.
0: Yeah, right. Mm-hmm.
1: Right? Yeah, so I thought it was an excellent complication,
0: personally. Mm-hmm. It's, um, you know, so the way you described your uh, listening to Scott Hahn and... and- all the stuff that was coming to you. I mean, that, I mean, that's frankly how I feel a lot of times when I'm talking to you, Excellency. And so I'm always, oh. you can see me on video taking <sighs> this. I, I have no reason to listen. kiss up to
1: you, so. Oh, oh, listen here, my <laughs> please, Steve. Listen, I'm a little sprinkler, maybe. He's the fire hose. It's <laughs> difference. <laughs> it's a big difference. Well, <laughs> <Okay>. well,
0: <laughs> what I wanted to do is I wanted to alert our listeners If you go back to uh, your conversation with Scott Hahn on this show was in November of last year, and I encourage, yeah, it was that. Yes, it was almost a year ago. So I encourage listeners to go back and and listen because I have pages and pages of notes from listening to you and him together. It (laughs) was pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. Is that is that your dog, by the way, Excellency?
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm dog sitting today, little Bourbon, and and she wants to come in and say hello to you. I can't I can't allow it. She's behind the door. <laughs> I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> no, and it's no problem. She sounds cute. Well, she's eight um, nine pounds. Oh my Disproportionately
1: gosh! Disproportionately loud for her size, I must confess.
0: <laughs> That's pe- people are the same way. That's why I'm so loud. Um, <laughs> how about uh, behind the scenes of the convocation, some of the conversations? I won't ask you to talk about conversations that priests had, you know, over coffee <laughs> or over walks, but um, it, uh, is there a, a sense, generally speaking, of some of the things the bigger things that are really weighing on
1: your priests' hearts <laughs> and minds right now? Oh, yeah, I think so. I think. There was, first of all, I think there was, there's a universal anxiety, if I could use that word, concern, maybe it's the better word, for, um, for the church to regain its footing coming out of COVID. I think that's not far from everyone's mind. In some places, the collateral damage may be less than others, but everyone has experienced collateral damage. Everyone in some way, shape, or form was commenting on how people attitudinally, generally speaking, are different than they were coming into COVID. Hmm. And and this may not resonate with our viewers, with our listeners. Um, It does resonate in my heart though. People seemingly are more um, on edge. They seem to be more uh, fearful and anxious. Uh, they are. It is. It is harder to connect now than it was before. Right. I think in the end, um, that's. You know, we talk about long COVID for people yes. who God forbid have that, and some people really yes. suffer a lot. Well, I think there's societal long COVID, too, and there's ecclesial long COVID. That was a lot of the underpinning of conversations that were not personal, because there was a lot of personal sharing. Friendships, you know, rejuvenated and new friendships formed, which was tremendous. But when we spoke shop, if I could use that word, (laughs) we spoke, that's kind of like what a lot of the conversation revolved around, right? There was also very interesting And this, again, is extremely important. There was a lot of reminiscing of the past, particularly by our older priests. And that's really super important for younger priests to learn. There's almost like an institutional memory that priests, older priests have. You know and they tell it with stories, and some of them are funny, some of them are outlandish, some of them are even a bit unbelievable. But I presume they're all true. <laughs> and, and the guys, particularly, you know, of course, for me, not growing up in the diocese, for me, a lot of it is new, so I love it. Yeah, but I, I right. can see the younger guys, and I gauge the fact that they're interested, the younger because they ask questions. Yeah, right? You don't passively listen to the story, you want to know more about it. Right, And that's, that's important, very important in my mind. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, a- amazing. I never thought about that, but it's just like in a family mm-hmm. where the grandparents, the older generations tell the stories, the younger ones want to know because they want to know where they came from because where you came from is also mm-hmm. an indication of where you could mm-hmm. be going. Mm-hmm. I never thought of it among the priesthood like that in the diocese. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And
1: it happened to me because a lot of the guys – who approached me about questions of the seminary, by my answering them, I was going back into the history of my native diocese because the seminary was the part of the Diocese of Brooklyn when all of Long Island was the Diocese of Brooklyn. And stories about Bishop Loy and Bishop McIntyre, and it goes stories of my uh, in my own life because there's my picture in the hallway of I think there were 18 men who were now bishops who once went to that seminary and I'm up there and I have wow. black hair and wow. I look young and I look and I look <laughs> at myself and what happened? Right. So there go about that. then there was the, my class picture, nineteen eighty seven. With my Brooklyn classmates, there I am, skinny, young, mustache.
0: Can you imagine Steve <laughs> mustache.
1: Mustache, wow. Yes, yes. That was the that was the old Italian American thing going on in those days. Right <laughs> when you were young. Right. There. And then in the corner of the of the picture was the little picture of Peter McKenna, who's my classmate who died, and I preached about him in the closing mass. So so even I went down the memories. You know, and and it was interesting. You know, I have three classmates who have died, and I and I, I I pray for them. But in those days, they were kind of very much on my mind. Stories, things that happened, standing in a place, and you remember. But there's something very beautiful about that, right? Because wow, there's a great yeah. connection among all of us. Right? Yes. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Oh, sounds, sounds awesome. Um, okay, so we should probably take a break, Excellency, and come back with uh, some more stuff to talk about. Um, we'll move on to a different topic, but uh, this is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network, and we'll be right back after the break.
2: The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. All
0: right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Uh, Excellency, I wanted to um, ask you, uh, you recently took a trip to Rome.
1: I did. So tell us about that. Well, I left the convocation on Wednesday. I drove back to the city, made a pit stop at the house in Brooklyn, changed bags, and was driven to JFK and flew over to Rome. I stayed one day in Rome, Mm -hmm. and then Friday I flew back because I had obligations on the weekend. So you may say, well, what in the name of goodness would motivate that sort of trip? Well, I must tell you. Without any question in my mind, the entire trip was worth every minute because he gave me an opportunity, both personally and for the name of the whole diocese, to be present at Monsignor Powers installation as rector of the North American College. Now, many of our listeners who live in the county probably know Monsignor in one way or another because he was vicar general for a number of years one of the finest priests you're ever going to meet period yeah and I could say that and if he hears this and gets embarrassed i'm sorry ahead of time but he is yeah and when he was asked to go to north american to be the rector which is a great honor it's our national seminary right in the heart of the church the appointment is a direct appointment by the prefect for the dicastery of clergy who was present there, Cardinal Lazaro was there. Cardinal Pell was there at the installation. Um, To see him there in such a short amount of time, having earned the respect and of the seminarians is amazing. He gave some remarks, typically understated remarks, And the seminarians gave him a standing ovation. Now, I was sitting there thinking to myself, when I was in the seminary, I liked the rector very much, but I'm not sure we would have given him a standing ovation for (laughs) typical remarks. Yeah. But seminarian after seminarian has said to me that the whole tenor of the house has changed. Wow. And that Monsignor is a person you could very easily speak with if you have an issue or problem. And I think, quite honestly that that's important for a seminary. Now, listen, everybody has gifts and talents. Everybody's different, right? But at this point in the life of the church, if these men are going to be both healthy and holy, you need someone who's going to be a real guide, mentor, father. And I think Monsignor Powers is definitely the man to do that. So I arrived at 1030, was picked up by a car, got to the North American, Went shopping, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, okay. Okay. Then came back. By the time I answered all my emails, we were in church. Huh. Right? Installation mass. Bishop Dealy, who is the Bishop of Portland, Maine, was the celebrant because he is the chair of the board of the North American College. Who was present there was myself, himself, Cardinal Lazaro, Cardinal Pell. Archbishop Villuron and Archbishop Gomez was also attended because they were the two, was invited to attend because they were there for their annual visit with the Pope, which they had earlier that day. Okay. Once a year, they, the heads of the Episcopal Conferences see the Pope, And the Mass was beautiful. And afterwards, and, and I must tell you, Liturgy celebrated the North American. I remember when I was still a priest. Always exact. Always exact. Always done. I mean, it's done very well. And it's not theater. It's not theater. Right? It's not a show. It's not. It's just done very well. Yes. And then um, we had the, the, the banquet, which was in the refectory, in the dining room. And... And I gave the closing prayer, following Tom, which was a tough act to follow. And um, it was just joy—it was just joyful. It was just, just—that's all I could describe. Right? It was that's joyful. Awesome. Yeah. Let's that's go awesome. back to shopping, though. Now. Yeah. T- tell me, yes. <laughs> I religiously shop in Rome. Why? Because in Rome, the things you need as a priest or a bishop are significantly less expensive than you have in the United States. So for example, um, obviously in liturgical celebration, I wear a miter every time I'm celebrating mass for the sacraments. A plain white miter is necessary for many reasons, not least of which in Advent and Lent and at funerals and other, occasions of con celebration a bishop is asked to wear a simple white mitre the celebrate the celebrant wears the more decorative mitre but you can well imagine that a mitre gets filthy very quickly Hmm. so because of covid so every year I changed my white mitre every year okay okay it's like changing you know filing your income tax do it (laughs) once a year out it goes (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right, so with, with COVID, I bought it in the United States. I'm telling you all my problems, right? All my problems. <laughs> so here in the United States, I bought it. It was $440. Wow. Yeah. I said, I, I said are you kidding? If I had oak tank, I could I create this, right? Because it's paper on the inside. We're not talking gold and silver. It's paper. <laughs> Anyway, in Rome, it's 85 euro. So with the current exchange rate, that's roughly 85 dollars. So it's five times more expensive here. Can you figure? Ah, uh, amazing. <laughs> so what did I do? I bought two. <laughs> so I have one yes. always I have always one now in the waiting. If I need so to me, the foolish man that I am, standing there in Italian saying to him, Oh, Bobta Chuca, you were a, a fan. great. I love it. And he said me, <laughs> he said to me, Well, he said, why? He said, because the last time I went, which was three years ago, I was 60. So I, instead of, you know, typical in Italy, you would moan the increase, take yes, some money right. off. I was thrilled. <laughs> I said, this, this is great. He said, Well, why? I said, because. In the United States, this miter is $440. Uh. And his eyes (laughs) just opened up wide. And I said, But I'm paying 85, right? Yeah, yeah, 85.
2: Then I'm walking out
1: out of the door and I'm thinking, Oh my gosh. Now I guarantee you he went up to like 120 euros (laughs) in the afternoon (laughs) session. It's the American (laughs) special.
2: Oh my gosh.
1: But that was it. I I only had 40 minutes to shop.
0: Uh, So, uh, I would like to know, and obviously, you didn't have time to do it this trip, but Mm -hmm. how about um, restaurants? Is there, I think you mentioned before that there's a favorite restaurant that you always go back to?
1: Uh, Yeah, Chichili Matella would be one for sure, but there was no time. I didn't even have time to go into St. Peter's Basilica, to be honest, because, you know, the security line, they were estimating it was 45 minutes to pass security. And I need wow. to get back because wow. I had to pull myself together for the mass. I wasn't there longer. I was there twenty-one hours. S-
0: so that's interesting. So when you go back on a normal trip, do you still sightsee,
1: Excellency? No, you mean sightseeing the what? Like, like go to the forum, go to the college. No, <laughs> I'm, no, I'm too old for all that stuff at this point. No, I, I've been there too many times. No, I go yeah. to the churches. Oh, okay. I always go back to the basilicas. In a perfect trip. I would visit the four great basilicas of Rome. Yeah, I have memories in all of them, stories in all of them. Um, Saint Peter simply to go to the tomb of Peter of Saint Peter, right to pray there. Right, and then Saint Mary Major, of course, is my favorite church in the whole universe. To go wow. in, because that's the wow. humble beginnings of the Lord, right? The crib. Yes. John Lateran. Wow. Well, John Lateran is the Church of Rome. Right. It's the diocesan Mm -hmm. cathedral of the cathedral. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. And then Paul Outside the Walls. Paul Outside the Walls is a beautiful church. It's not often, it's it's not always on the tours, but it's beautiful. And it was the one that was reconstructed and all the rest. Yeah. So that I do to the extent that I can, those four churches I always go back to. Yeah. So that's not really sightseeing so much, right? No, 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 no. No, but it <laughs> depends but on how you re- do it, but. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I, but it's funny. Like when I went to the seminary, where we had the convocation, and maybe you have this experience. It, I wasn't there 10 minutes and I felt at home again because I spent four years plus pastoral year in that building. When I landed in Rome, in Leonardo da Vinci, Fiumicino, as soon as we ent- and left the gate, it felt like home. It was so familiar. Yeah. It was so. It's like wearing a, a glove that you've always worn. It's you don't even allude yeah. to the fact that you're not home per se. Yeah, uh, i i used I used to get that
0: feeling before I did the Veritas thing when I was working on Wall Street and I would travel and I would hit certain airports and hotels and feel like I was home. And then I was like, "Oh, this is not a good sign." <laughs> right, right.
1: And then, of course, what but, I do, what no, I it's different do for is- a seminary. Yeah, I always egg on the drivers because I want to know what's really going on. So I I will get in and I will say, so how's life in Italy these days? Oh, la vita qua, la and they go on and on and on and on. <laughs> but, but, it's very sobering to think that because of the Ukraine situation, the war that's going on, This man said to me, "Many of his friends are struggling to pay their utility bills, that have gone on average, on average, from a thousand euro a month to four thousand euro a month." Oh my word! Okay, that is quintupled in many cases, and they are unable to pay their bills. He said there are more yeah. businesses now closing because of that than closed because of COVID.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: And they are very much worried about the winter because of the lack of supply. And where the supply is, the cost is dramatically higher. Now, we have had cost decreases, but nowhere near what the Europeans, Western Europeans are dealing with. Now see, that gives me a vignette, a different perspective on the situation than you have here in the United States. The other thing that's interesting, and that is for more than one person, is that they have a far more nuanced, if I could call it that, understanding of the situation involving the Ukraine than we often hear here in the United States. Okay, Because at least this gentleman and two other people I spoke to, and this was all randomly, they are of the opinion that um, there is wrong on both sides and there is a need for a compromise to bring peace. Like this gentleman said, it was interesting because I just listened. He said, Mm -hmm. when... When and he's not an older man, but it's common, you know, common knowledge. When Gorbachev eventually allowed the Soviet Union to collapse, there was both a spoken and written agreement between the West and the Soviet Union, what became Russia, that the countries of Eastern Europe would be freed but would not be invited into NATO. Precisely not to okay. give any sort of threat to Russia. And in fact, he went on to say, every almost every single one has entered NATO, and the Ukraine really was at the very heart of the instability Russia would feel with having NATO literally at your doorstep. And then he said something very interesting. He said, so that would have been the equivalent of Canada entering into the Warsaw Pact if it still existed. And how would the United States receive that? Right. Now, I'm not suggesting the man is correct or incorrect, but they, my point is only they have a different perspective on what's going on. At least the Italians I've spoken to. it's I would say it's much more of a nuanced one because the consequences of what's going on, they're feeling far more dramatically than we are. Right. so. I I think an educated person listens to everyone and then you have to decipher, you know, the validity of what you're hearing, but to have heard it in so many different venues was very interesting for me to hear.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess that makes sense because there's no, there's never, nothing's
1: ever black and white. Right. So. Right. But in the United States, particularly in social media and in 24 hour television, It's always painted as black and white. Otherwise, people don't, they're they're not interested in nuance. Like, they're not going to come back to listen for more. Do you know what I mean? True, true. Because you need to yell about something. (laughs) Right. But in the end, uh, he, he, at least the one person in particular who is not the driver, he's another person that I had met. um, He's deathly afraid that this could escalate out of control. Right, and the collateral damage would be in Europe, mm-hmm. yes, yep, yeah, so that's sobering part of it, like here, in a sense, we always, and please God, always it will be the case. Things always work out in the end, but there, at least for the few people I spoke to, there is a tangible fear that that may not be the case here. Hmm.
0: you. Uh... That makes me think. Um, so, I, and we've got like ten minutes or so left in this segment. But what um, the role of uh, forgiveness mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the the inability mm-hmm. not inability, well, maybe inability for people to forgive. Really, I mean, mm-hmm. today especially. Mm-hmm you know so i'm sorry about shifting gears excellency but um no no of course
1: well it's a question Uh, it's extraordinarily well it's at the heart of christian faith right father forgive them for they know not what they do right it's it's what about when they do know what they do
0: yeah yeah and they're not sorry and they're not repentant
1: right so we've talked about this in, in prior recordings Just to recall, forgiveness is a gift. It's not a right. It's a gift. It's a gift the Lord asks us to give freely, generously, and recklessly. Forgiveness is not an emotion. You don't necessarily always feel good when you act in a Mm. forgiving way. Forgiveness is a decision of the will. It is a manifestation. It's a particular manifestation of love. I will the good of this person, allowing them an opportunity to begin anew. Even though I myself all right, don't necessarily feel good about it, but it is my obligation in charity. Yeah. There is, in fact, the collateral benefit because when you do not forgive, you hold yourself hostage and in chains as much as the person who may have harmed you. So there's yes. an inner healing, right, in forgiveness. But for one-on-one is one dynamic. When you talk about nations among nations, it's far more complicated. There it becomes much more a question of justice than it is a question of forgiveness. But in human relationships, it's forgiveness. And many people find it very difficult to forgive because they can't get beyond the hurt, not necessarily what was done to them, but the hurt that was done to someone else whom they love very much. That's the harder piece to forgive.
0: Right? Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, in the complication of, of the modern world, what are the incentives to forgive? You see, in a simpler time when we didn't have mobility as much and we didn't have an electronic platform and you had to live with your neighbors, there was an incentive simply because you didn't want to bear this grudge forever because you saw this person every day. Sooner or later, you're going to stare each other face to face and then you have to make a choice. Right. Right. But now that's not the case. People are more isolated. And on social media, you only hang out with people you like. So you could ostensibly walk away from forgiving someone for the rest of your life. In the past, it happened often. Now, it may even happen more often. Yeah. The other thing to recognize is the hardest people to forgive are the people who you love the most who have betrayed you. If a stranger told me to go take a hike, I wouldn't be happy, but life goes on. Yeah, I may forgive him because it really didn't make that much of an impression. Yeah. Um, if my sister told me that, it's a totally different story. Mm-hmm.
2: Right.
0: Yeah. Or or when people you know keep doing stuff that bothers you, and you keep telling them that it bothers you. Oh. And, right, right? you know. Cause I know like for, for me, just thinking about when I go to confession and I go into confession all the time, repeating the same sins over and over again and asking God, like, oh, forgive me. I did it again. Have mercy on me. And I was tired or I was stressed or there's always some excuse. But then when someone keeps doing something to me, I'm always like, well, why would you do that again? When, you know, I already told you that I don't like that.
1: Right, <laughs> right, right, right. right. And that sounds like a, a parental thing, too, going on. <laughs> 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 I don't want to jump the gun. Are, but... <laughs> are you listening, kids? <laughs> <laughs> I forgive you. Yeah. I forgive you, kids. <laughs> yeah. But you know what it is, Steve? What I have found helpful in my own life, um, because I've had my own share of, of people who have um, very successfully hurt me and betrayed me, because I'm sure I've done that to others whether I remember or not is empathy is the mm. exercise of asking yourself are the motivations that you think cause that to happen? Are they actually the real motivation? Or do you spend the time to try to figure out what could have been the motivation that makes the situation very different? Yes. Right. Yes. And, and, and so, so in a sense, in a sense, that exercise, let's go all the way back. The exercise that I do when I go to Italy is rile up the people, get, you know, because I want to know what's going on. Gave me a perspective that may not actually be true because I don't have the facts to prove either of it, but it mm-hmm. broadens out the starting point to say, well, the situation may be a bit more complex, and therefore it needs a response that could respect the complexity. And it's not just simply and wholly and completely black and white. That allows compromise, the exercise of justice, to be more possible. Yeah. So in human relations, in the end, in the end, when Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, he was reading their heart. That wasn't poetry. He knew that they did not know what they were doing. That they did not know that they were putting to death the Savior and Redeemer. Love made flesh. In their heart of hearts, they thought they were executing a criminal. They know not what they do. Forgive them. So do we know why people do what they do to us? No. So let's... If you really want to learn how to forgive, then spend some time trying to figure out what could the, be the real motivations. And there may be people who really are just very malicious. Then you wish them good yeah. and you move on. right? Because yeah. you can't have a friendship, but, but you can still will their good to the extent that you can.
0: Mm-hmm. We should still, though, Excellency, I mean correct them at least once, right? Like Jesus said, if your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he
1: repents, forgive him. Yes. Am I? No, no, you're absolutely correct. You have to point out the harm. Point out the harm. But remember, our obligation as Christians is to proclaim the gospel in an effective way, not in a way that just satisfies us. Yes. And that's the difference, right? So to rebuke a person, you can, you should, to the extent and only to the form where they can still hear what you have to say. Right? If you tell somebody off, chances are they're not going to listen to what you have to say. (laughs) No,
0: no, 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 not at all. Yep, yep. I, uh, I, I tell myself um, probably every day, probably several times every day. St. Paul's words to Timothy Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost. So.
1: Don't get in line. I think I'm ahead
0: of you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. So we had kind of a, a, a meandering conversation, but I thought it was really great. Uh, oh, let's I love take meandering a break and come back with a listener
1: question. Excellent.
0: <laughs> Yeah, we'll be be back with a listener question on the other side of the break. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Be right back. All right, Excellency, we're back on Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Here is this week's uh, question, Excellency. It says, Bishop Frank, I listen to your show on podcast, and I cross myself at the end Mm -hmm. of each episode when you bless us. Uh, But... If I'm listening to a recorded blessing, am I still getting blessed?
1: It's an interesting question, right? Because the church has said very clearly through electronic communication, you can be blessed. So when the Pope, for example, if you're watching a papal mass and the Pope blesses the coming, he's also blessing you if it's live. The fact that it's recorded, It's an interesting question, and I do not have a definitive answer, but I would think, given the fact that grace supplies to deficiencies of nature, that the answer would be yes. That even if it's delayed in recording, yes, the Lord would use that means to bless whoever is open to the grace.
0: Awesome. That's great. So if you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in to us on social media, or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, so is Veritas Catholic Network. And we would like to thank Foundations in Faith. It's a grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization that makes it possible for us to bring, let me be frank, to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Excellency, uh, when I ask you for your blessing, you should maybe bless the folks who are working on your house, too.
1: <laughs> yes, the roofers, the dog. Today was quite the day. All right. <laughs> Please. <laughs> in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Steve, I'll see you next week when the roof is finished. Thanks, Excellency. (laughs) Take care.